slowing up, but we are planning to get there somehow, somewhere soon. And that's John Lennon and Woman. Before that, we played Nina Simone and My Baby Just Cares. And uh, that's the choice of song of our guest presenter, Sophia Teresa Williams de Brain. She's on the line now. She's uh, 82 years old, former South African uh, anti-apartheid activist is what I read. But I think it doesn't matter. You're not a former South African anti-apartheid activist. You will always be an anti-apartheid activist. Uh, Sophie De Bruyne, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Michelle, and good morning to all the listeners. And a happy, happy uh, Women's Day to all our women in our country. You are absolutely welcome, and thank you for joining us today, Mum Sophia. I want to Thank take you. you to your choice song, Nina Simone, My Baby Just Cares. What a great song. Why did you choose that? I always loved Nina's voice. And I always loved her for what she is. And and I really respected her greatly. I didn't have any uh, knowledge about her. But after I heard her song for the first time, I just fell in love with her. And she also had a great uh, struggle in her life. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, that was the interesting thing is that you say you didn't know about her, but actually in many ways uh, she is uh, so representative of so many women in terms of the struggle that she went through. If I look at also you and your own struggle, I'd love to take you right back to Port Elizabeth before you were 18, before you were part of the march, before you were part of the Textile Workers Union. Um, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about growing up as a small child in Port Elizabeth, the fact that your father went to uh, fight in World War II. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we were. I was born in a place called, uh, a place called Village Port. Yeah, And of course, Bridgeport is no longer on the map because I was invited uh, a few years back to SARS during this month of August. And SARS invited me to speak to the women workers there, yeah. which I did. And the person who was, uh, who was introducing me said, and Sophie, uh, I've read your bio... <coughs> And I see you were born in Port Elizabeth in a place called in a place called Village Fort. I come from Port Elizabeth. Where the hell? <laughs> That's what I thought. Fort? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. So Village Fort was a small little enclave in Port Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, around the uh, areas where we colored people lived. And I grew up there. My father went to the army. Uh, and my, we lived with our uncle. My father had a brother, and he was an older one. We lived in this old-fashioned house, very comfortable and large, spacious. And and my uncle was a bit possessive. He didn't have children, and he was very, uh, very, how can I say, not always nice to my mother. And my mother couldn't say she was a very gentle woman. Yeah. And didn't like uh, conflict, so she quietly went to an area where they were building a new township. They were developing it and the municipality, and she 
sign on for a house. And during those days, things were still done properly. So her name went on the list. And as she went, uh, every other month to go and check how far she was on the list. And finally, they told her that she's got a house now. That is how uh, we moved. She moved us to Shout. When my father came back, Shout Township. When my father came back from the army, he found away from his brother's house. Now, this house was their inheritance. My uncle and my father jointly owned this house. And uh, he stayed behind. He didn't have children, me and his wife. My auntie Christine lived in that house, and we moved on to Shouter. That, that is where I was growing up uh, and started understanding <clears throat> about the struggle. And yeah. there was this area called Corston, yeah, where our African people lived. And meetings were held, and sometimes we would come across these meetings as children, young teenagers. And I was very impressed with what I heard from them. It just struck me so vividly. But I think it was also the the the, the compassion that my mother had and also the way that she treated other people that were less fortunate, you know. And my mother used to cook pots and pots of soup. And people would come to my late father and asked for advice. He was a so-called learned man of his time, although he didn't have matric. And and uh, they would ask him to write letters for them, uh, semi-literate people and yeah. so on. And, and, and my mother would tend to them, give them whatever we had, bread and soup and things like that. So that was part of my growing up. And my consciousness, political consciousness started from the Textile Workers Union, I used to go and look for jobs during my school holidays and work for that period until the holidays uh, are over and then I would go back to school. But because of the dynamics in the factories, the, I, was, I became a shop steward. And later on, I became, I was opted on an executive of the Textile Workers Union. And then I just stayed out of school and continued uh, being on the... That time it was stuck to the forerunner of yes. day. You know... So that was my uh, consciousness politically. You talk about your political consciousness, Mum Sophia, and one of the things that I, that I was thinking about when I was reading up about you was if we look at the Textile Workers' Union, just... I suppose I'm, I'm putting a, a lens on it, um, which is about the present day, just looking at how the textile sector and the textile industry has really been destroyed in this country. And what a great opportunity it could have been in terms of driving a sector of our economy. And I'm, I'm wondering about your experience in that sector and watching it in many ways as it was ultimately destroyed. The, the, the destroying of the uh, textile workers, uh, the textile industry, the garment industry, and all those in, industries came, came about as a uh, result of the new dispensation. As you know, we trade all over 
everybody else is allowed to trade with us. But yes, you are right. You know, in PE, the industries were thriving. I remember when I got married uh, in my early years, I uh, still worked in a factory, but we used to buy. If I work in a textile factory, I would buy for my friends. They would ask me to buy material. And I would buy so many yards of uh, material for them. Uh, suiting, it was called, you know, making yeah. suits for men. Woolen and the other the other kinds, which I don't remember anymore. But the long and the short is, I would <clears throat> buy them sometimes a whole row, and they in turn working in in the shoe industry. They yeah. would buy me a dozen pair of shoes. So they pay me, they pay me with the shoes, and I pay them with the textile uh, roll. You know, it's yeah. equivalent. And and so this is how we. And we used to buy dozens by the dozen, a dozen uh, panties for for growing up children, for babies, and so on. And and you you would help one another like that. And, yeah. and it was the motor industry, all industries. I when we came back from Italy in 1990, I cried when I went to PE to <clears throat> visit my relatives to see how there is only shadows of the warehouses. And all all the factories that were so vivid and, and and vibrant and and growing and busy. Yeah. So so these were, were all part of our dispensation, you know. And nowadays it's still it's still like that. There, there's really nothing much of uh, industry that and, and people flock. The young people flock to to other centers like Johannesburg and Cape Town and wherever they can find a uh, viable job, but in Port Elizabeth, <coughs> except for a few factories uh, that are still, still running. So how is it possible that at such a young age, I mean, you were 18 um, on August the 9th in 1956. I mean, 18, I think of so many 18-year-old girls <coughs> And I go, you know, not all of them had the chutzpah and the kind of courage and determination that you had. And I wondered if you could just talk about how you got to be at that point, at that time. You know, know, Michelle, uh, most people don't remember. I uh, I was interviewed by another journalist the other day. And he also luckily remembered that there were two marches. Most people don't remember there were two marches. The first march was in 55 when I was 18. The second march when I was 19, the large one. So the first march was just for the Transvaal. We just organized in the Transvaal. And um, they didn't muster a lot of people. I think it was about 300, if I can remember. But the Transvaal people then, I mean, the other provinces, if you remember, it was only four provinces, Transvaal, Natal, Orange Free State, and the Cape. So the other provinces were not happy, and they said they also want to demonstrate against parties. And this is how the 1956 Mm -hmm. march came about. Yeah. Asking me about my life in the textile and 
trade union and, and how I came to that point. You see, <coughs> you see, colored people were not very political, <coughs> excuse me, during that time. And and there was this person, this young person, and very uh, happy to do. And, you know, our leaders were, our leaders of that time were very, the giants, and, and as I'm, Talking to you, I'm getting a lump in my throat. Because if I just remember their names, comrades, uh, the uh, comrades of Fort Elizabeth, uh, Governor Becky was one of them. They mentored us. And the Frances part, who was a great dynamic woman, and the Frances Martomella, and the Mita, and the Mita Drahuner. And so on, the names are endless. Yeah. And they were all, you know, these were people that were just simple, simple, committed, highly committed people. They never asked anything for themselves. If I can tell you how we just used to share, they used to be so helpful towards us, grooming us, giving us stories about you know, the struggle and all of that. They groomed us. They told us what we ought to know, how we ought to behave, how we ought to work. And and all these values that, that they added to our lives. And and we would buy things together. They would call us and we would eat together on their desk. Uh, Uncle Governor Becky was the editor of New Age. And New Age yeah. was a paper, a publication of that time that that dealt with the workers' issues. Things that the white papers within the Eastern Province Herald and, and the Evening Post, those papers won't publish the stories of workers and their suffering. And so Congress, that time it was a Congress movement, which was comprised of the Colored Congress, the African National Congress, Indian Congress and the White Congress of Democrats, all the white people belong to the Congress of Demo- Democrats. As you know, it was a group areas at that time. And other races couldn't just move into into white suburbs or to Indian suburbs and so on. We races were just kept apart. So this is how we worked, the Congress movement. And all these, the leaders of these different Congresses, uh, they came together as leadership and discussed the problems of each each Congress. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. ask you to just hold it there for a moment. We have to go to a sports break, Mum Sophia. Okay. And uh, when we come back, I'd like to ask you about what you were saying about mentorship and that. I mean, as you say, you got a lump in your throat just thinking about it, like the kind of. Sort of, I suppose, morals and ethics that, that were part of that mentorship. Yes. It's 9.32. Yes. She's in the studio's eye. So now there's a fabulous choice of song for you, Mum, Sophia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The names that she mentioned in those songs take me back when we were in Angola and Mozambique. And in all those places that Miriam, late Miriam mentions there, and with a beautiful voice, she used to come to Zambia, invited by KK. KK was Kenneth Kaunda, yeah. the founding president of Zambia. And I remember we went to that concert where she sang, and 
in a in a back room where she was dressing up, I went to greet her and to speak to her, and she was delighted to know that we were from South Africa. She was already in, I think, in one of those African countries. And so she was a great entertainer, and everybody loved her with that beautiful silken voice that she sang. You know, you touch on something fabulous, which is, uh, I'm thinking of Tsisonka Msamang's book. I'm thinking of so many people who went into exile, but also those who went into exile like yourselves, you and your husband, Henry, uh, into um, various different African countries out of South Africa, including for yourself, Zambia. What was that experience? Yes. You know, it was very, very difficult when you... Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Hello? When Hello. you grew up in, in, in South Africa and and you, you know, we were not, we were not exposed. So we, we didn't travel. I remember in PE we used to every year as children be, be taken by our mother to our grandmother in Benoni. Yeah. And she lived with and mother's sisters, and then we would go back again and come back next year and all of that. But we never traveled even inside of South Africa. So when you are exposed, when you get to a country where you, and you know, we lived in that narrow world of colored people. You are confined into that narrowness. And then you one day leave and you go to a country like Zambia. And Zambia was not a it wasn't developed yet, and KK had just taken over. He had his own problems. Country was battling, but they still had time for these these uh, guerrillas, these uh, refugees, and all of mm. that. So we lived. It was very difficult because we didn't. I, if I speak about myself, we didn't know the people. The people were strange to us, and we were strange to them. When they see me and my children, they would say, "Mom, Zungu, Zungu." Zungu <laughs> mean white person, yeah. white person. Yeah. And they would, you know, take the one little dung out of it and they would form a little group and march in that group following you and you get so petrified you don't know what's going to happen. But those, and, and there was a lot of shortages later on. Uh, shortages of, of very, you know, uh, like bread and potatoes and staple food and so on. And, and you never... You never got chocolate and cheese and the things that you, which was commonplace to you. Yeah. And and I remember it was so short, but one time, long after that, I went to Kenya because I studied in Kenya. I haven't, I didn't finish my high school when I left for exile, when I started in the Congress movement, but I did do my, uh, my O-levels. And then I, got a scholarship to go to Kenya to go and study further. And that is where, when I got to Kenya, I saw all these chocolates and cheese <laughs> and all these, uh, all these uh, things that we never... But, you know, it didn't even appeal to me. Yeah. Because you had unlearned, you had unlearned all those luxuries. Yeah. And, and so it didn't matter, it didn't matter. You know, I was, uh, I read that you were um, one of the founder members of the ANC Education Council and that, in yes. fact, you set the curriculum for the Solomon Matlangu Freedom College in Mazimbu in Tanzania. 
And I helped you. A, a while back, I had a wonderful conversation with um, a Dutch activist, a Dutch gentleman, Peter Knoper, or Peter Knoper. Yes, they were great friends of the liberation movement. And Peter was a, a lecturer there in Solomon Mislangu. Absolutely. Isn't and that? perhaps you and can the just... wife was Rissa. Yes, the, the former the Dutch Rissa. ambassador. Yeah. Yes. Sophia, I wonder if you could maybe talk about, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, the meeting of Miriam Makeba, meeting Peter, you know, KK, I mean, KK, you know, it's your, yeah. your, the, the legacy that you leave is not just one of what you have done to change this country, but it's a legacy of extraordinary storytelling. Are you afraid that perhaps those stories might just be forgotten well, uh, uh, I, I actually, you know, for, you know, in a way, the, the, the pandemic, the COVID nineteen pandemic, or the what, whatever it's called, uh, in a way, it's an advantage as much as, as it's deadly, you know, to to, to the nation, to yeah. in the universe, in the whole world. But in a way, it's an advantage because it brought all of us. To a standstill, in the sense that we have enough time now, and things that were left in abeyance is what we can now concentrate on. Like in my own case, you know, I when we came from Zambia, we our luggage came, and and there are two chunks up to today that hasn't been opened because when we came back, you were running yourself busy. Again, trying to, well, we had a bit of knowledge by then and setting up, setting up uh, structures and departments and shellouts. And we had to pose the, the, the ANC administratively. Yeah. And so on, as well as politically. And so we were busy with all of that. And my husband was appointed as an ambassador to Jordan. And I had to go with, I, I mean, I went with him, not that I had to, I couldn't have <laughs> had a choice to stay behind and yeah. go and visit periodically. But along the short, I was in Jordan, I came back, I was in the, uh, the, uh, all these things, the legislature. Yes, yeah. And parliament. You never had time for yourself and for your own families. And and so you never had time to do things that you had to do. The trunks are now being opened. I'm now and for for a long time people have been stunning me for writing a book, my book. <laughs> and others yes. offered to write my book and so on. And I said to all of them that I'll write my own book because I know my story. Of course. And this is yeah. what I'm doing now with this you know. So when you are talking about so many you know, it's not only that I was a, one of the people fortunate enough and honored, you know, I was honored enough to be one of the people that were in the forefront of the march. But I also did a lot of other things. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of other things which is ne- never mentioned. It's always the march and the march and the four women. So now I'm, I'm doing that, Michelle. I'm I love that. My book. It, it, it's still going a bit flow, you know, because other things come in between. You really have to be disciplined and cut off 
you know, cut off some of these things and say, no, no more, this far and no more. So I'm, so, so what I'm saying is that I've got started on my book. I love, I love what you say about the fact that, I mean, yes, we celebrate the March and we celebrate the 9th of August, but as you say, there is so much more. And that, that, that was, of course, one of the reasons that I, that I wanted to bring up the, um, the, the Mithlangu Academy, because that's such an extraordinary yes, yes. story as well. And the time spent in Zambia, th- those are stories which we need to constantly remind ourselves of if we are going to, um, you know, celebrate who we are uh, and how we are positioned on the African continent. Mum, Sophia, I, I have to go to a break, but when I come back from the break, um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your legacy and indeed the foundation that is set up in both your and your husband Henry's name. The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM, destination unknown. We've got her on the line, Mum Sophia Teresa Williams de Brain, and uh, she is an extraordinary woman who has uh, really made her mark, not just on South Africa, but I suppose one could also say on the continent and even on the globe. Mum Sophia, one of the things we were talking about before we went to the break was this idea of uh, a legacy. And I wonder, I mean, one of those legacies for you will be the writing of the book, which sounds like as uh, challenging as it might be. It sounds like it's going very well. The other thing that you have, of course, is a foundation. Tell us a little bit about the foundation and what you hope to get out of the work uh, that the foundation does. You, you know, our, uh, the uh, broad vision of it. What we are concentrating on is education is one of the uh, and violence, uh, non-sexism, and internationalism and health. Those are the uh, what do we call it? The uh, anyway, those are the, uh, the what we have as our that we that we focus on. It's education by giving scholarships, and my daughter has done a lot of that. And uh, non-sexism, I speak about it. Uh, we collaborate with other organizations. In the health sector, my son is a doctor, and he hmm. works in the community in El Dorado Park. And a lot of the people there, uh, some of the people there, not a lot, some of the people that aren't able you know, they can't afford to pay. And so some most of the time, during those times, he would do it for free. And he always puts himself at their disposal if it's to do with health issues. Yeah. And, of course, in, international internationalism is... We lived in Zambia. We lived in Kenya. We lived in Jordan and in Italy. My late husband was the chief rep representative in Italy for seven years and we have a great uh, uh, friendship with the Italian people there is a an organization here in Johannesburg or HIP and HIP stands for uh, Hispanic, Italian and Portuguese <laughs> so this is a an organization and whenever the Italian community comes to to Johannesburg, and they would also include my, our family in in, in those uh, events and so on. 
So this is our internationalism, and we collaborate with them and work with them and so on. So that is uh, what the foundation is doing. It's going very slow, because, you know, money is not a, a thing that everybody's hard, hard to buy by money nowadays. Mm. And when it comes to funding, it's difficult. Uh, most of the time, we use our own money, our own little bit of money, my son, my daughter, myself. And, and uh, we, try, we try our best to get the foundation running. So um, a question that, that I suppose one should ask you in closing is, do you feel that there's still a hell of a lot of work that needs to be done here in South Africa? Yeah, oh yes. I, I, you know, with the, uh, the, the woman of our, my generation and what we did uh, was we had one enemy. Let's just say we had one enemy. That enemy was apartheid, and we defeated, we defeated that enemy. We are now a democracy, but with this democracy comes all, all, uh, in a way, disadvantages. And our people are not, all of our people are not very responsible towards our constitution, because the constitution is, is there for the benefit of all of us. Yeah. And our people don't penetrate the Constitution as they should. And sometimes I wonder if the Constitution is not too sophisticated for for some of us. Uh, because in a way we don't respect our Constitution. And we are known throughout the world of the best Constitution. The long and the short is your generation... The young people that are there, uh, we have already handed the pattern over to you. And I often think deeply about how much work and how much harder your generation is going to have it. Because your enemy is not one. Your enemy is uh, uh, violence against women, this pandemic. And it's a huge pandemic. Yeah, that is your enemy. That is poverty. Is your enemy? Homelessness is your enemy. You've got, you've got all these diseases that you've got to fight. You've got to look after yourself. You've got to battle with your own lives. And I was saying the other day when I was speaking to, <coughs> excuse me, to some young people, I was saying to them that you're going to have to be brave, and you're going you're going to have to be committed and disciplined to fight these enemies because your your struggle is a huge one. It's not going to be an easy one, even to the pain of death. So you have to you have to mm. be prepared for you really have to be prepared. But my one consolation is before uh, you tell me that our time is up one consolation is that you are far more better equipped than we were. You are educated. You have all everything at your disposal. You have the know-how, and you have the digital world at your feet. And the digital world is going to become even better. You know. Yeah. So, so, so if yeah. you if you have those those ingredients, if you have got those values of sensitivity to one another and honesty. 
and you have the right ethics and you have the right tools to fight the struggle that is looking at you, then you will you will be okay. You will be okay. Mum Sophia Teresa Williams de Bruyne, I want to say thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your wise words. I wish you all the very, very best with your book. May the writing flow speedily from your fingers. And uh, I wish you all the joy in the world. Thank you so thank much you, for joining thank us. You. Yeah. And you have a great day yourself. Hey? Bye-bye. I will. Sophia Teresa Williams de Bruyne. Mum, Sophia de Bruyne. You know her from the March of 1955-1956. And uh, now you know her for so many other things as well. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.